0: to work with a girl when um, we all work it. Father, we love you. We come before you today, God, thanking you for your grace, thanking you for the blessings that we have, Lord. We we can look and uh, just see how blessed we truly are. We we ask that you would be with this family that that Miss Judy has uh, has brought up to us, God, in the loss of their their child. Father, we pray that you would just uh, give them strength and comfort through this. As uh, as no easy answers, there's no easy um, there's no easy explanations, and there's uh, no words that can be said that uh, uh, is going to comfort them, Father. Only you can do that. So, Lord, we pray that you would give them comfort and that you would uh, just help them to know that you're still in the midst of all these things, even when it's the worst thing you could possibly imagine. We pray, God, that you would just show yourself mighty to them and that you would uh, use use whatever means necessary, Lord, to, uh, to uh, show them your goodness and your grace through the midst of the tragedy. Lord, we pray that you would bless our efforts as we uh, dig into your word today. And we ask that you would be with us and uh, be with our hearts as we go into service today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, we're in 12, right? We're in 12, okay. I preached in 13 this morning and so, if y'all are here for that, we'll do that next week. I'm going to try to get, I'm going to try to do the whole chapter, whole chapter 12 today. it 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 shouldn't take too long. But, uh, what we're going to see is, what we're going to see, somebody talk about what we talked about last week. What, what's the context? Where, where are we at in the book of Acts? Somebody besides me. They were first called Christians at Antioch. They were first called Christians at Antioch. What's going on in Antioch? They're the kind of Gentiles churches, really the. I mean, it's not where it started, but that's where it's starting to blow up, you know, as the church is, uh, is growing in Antioch. Antioch is this big, huge city. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time, behind Rome and Alexandria. And so um, now this church is uh, full of Christians, Gentiles, Jews, all this is going on what we're going to see in chapter 12 chapter 12 chapter 13 is going to be a pivot point where from the rest the rest of the book of acts we're going to be talking about paul Instead of uh, up to now, we focused on Peter, Jerusalem apostles, Philip. You know those kind of those kind of guys. From from here on out, uh, not not exactly here, but uh, right here through uh, through chapter twelve is probably it's the last time we're going to talk about the the Peter and things going on with him. From chapter thirteen on out, we talk about Paul and his his missionary journeys and all that. But what well, what I want to show you today here is the the, the main theme of this chapter as it relates to the book of Acts is that no matter what happens, no matter what opposes, God's gospel, His kingdom, is always going to be victorious. Always. What we're going to see is we're going to see one apostle, James. The apostle James, which is John's brother, uh, he's going to be executed by Herod. And so we're going to see Peter, who Herod wants to execute, is going to be delivered miraculously by God. And then we're going to see God execute Herod himself. And so what, what we see here is... Um, it's kind of a pattern for how we should deal with persecution. Now, it's not, this is not, sometimes this is not a popular deal, but we don't see anywhere in the New Testament where we see Christians. Uh, you know, marching on the capital of Rome or, or anything like that, They what we're going to see is when persecution comes and it's heavy on them, they're going to go to their knees in prayer and they're going to let God deal with uh, their enemies. He's going to deal with Herod himself. Uh, but whether you're James who loses his life, I mean, James, a lot of times you'll hear, uh, and I've even preached it this way, so I'm not saying that it's wrong or anything, but a lot of times you'll hear, when you hear about, you all know what we're talking about. We're talking about Peter's deliverance where he miraculously, chains fell off and the jail door opened and he, the angel led him out of the, the prison. And you hear that, you know, like God is always going to open the prison door for you and, and let you out. And and that may be true, but it's not always the case because just a few verses earlier God allowed James to be executed. And so whether you are whether you give your life like James did, and like a lot of Christian martyrs did, or whether God miraculously delivers you you Um, what we're going to see at the end of the chapter is that the gospel and the kingdom is going to grow the gospel is going to go forth and it's going to be victorious and no matter if you are called to sacrifice your life or you're called to be miraculously delivered and go on with your mission uh, the ultimate goal of God is going to be it's going to be fulfilled that makes sense Okay, so what we're going to see is persecution starts up again. Herod, which is, this is Herod Agrippa I. He's uh, Herod the Great's grandson. You remember Herod? Herod the Great was the Herod that had all the babies killed in Bethlehem, right? Well, this is his grandson who is now reigning. Uh, Herod Antipas was Herod's uncle, and that was the Herod that tried to get Jesus, you know, at Jesus' trial. This is a different Herod from that. It says, now about that time, uh, about the time the church, was growing, Antioch, and all these things. Herod, the king, he was king of Galilee and all these. I could go into a lot of detail about how Herod gained these territories. He had been back and forth to Rome a few times. He was friends with some of the Roman hierarchy. Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, which means to persecute persecute certain people of the church, and he killed James. The brother of John with a sword. That's that's all you get. That's all we know about the, the death of James. If you go and you can read some Jewish historians, Flavius Josephus, will. he talks about how James executed and talks about how Herod uh, will die as well. But Herod, James gets one sentence and the rest of the chapter talks about, about Peter. But... You're going to see that. So what we see is persecution once again breaks out. So even up until chapter 12 in Acts, you've had persecution of the church, then it relaxed, and then persecution of the church, and then it relaxed, and now persecution's fired up again. Herod is starting to uh, persecute Christians, to kill Christians, and to uh, and to do these things. And what he's going to see is that this is going to please the Jews. Now by now there are literally hundreds of thousands, probably, of Christians. This is years have gone by. It's Remember, don't read Acts like it's today and then the next day like Pentecost was on Monday and then, you know... Uh Paul, Stephen's killed on Wednesday. This is years going by. This is a long period of time that's going by. And so there's hundreds of thousands of Christians by now. There's just thousands upon thousands. And so this has gotten to be a pretty big deal. And so the Jews now are seeing, they're seeing our way of life is threatened. Our our religion is threatened because these guys are worshiping this Messiah, they say was killed on a cross and risen from the dead. And, and so when Herod starts... A, persecuting these Christians when he killed James and verse 3 says and because he saw it please the Jews he proceeded further to take Peter also it says then were the days of the unleavened bread it was during the Passover week so he, he started persecuting Christians He kills James, has him executed, and he sees that it pleases the Jews. So he says, okay, I'm going to grab Peter too, and I'm going to execute Peter too. He plans on killing Peter, but he's going to wait until after the Passover was over. So it says that in 4. It says, and when he apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four, good luck with that word, it was four... Yeah, okay, what she said. Of soldiers, it's four four squads of four is what it is. Four squads of four, 16 soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter, or Passover, to bring him forth to the people. So he's going to put him in jail, and he's going to wait until after the festivities are over. You know, it's a big celebration. Remember, we talked about Passover before. Millions, uh, at least, you know, some historians say uh, some uh, almost two million people and sometimes would come to Jerusalem, the Passover. He's going to wait to the end of the Passover when all these people are there. He's going to bring Peter out and he's going to have him killed. You know, Herod was all about this Herod, Herod Agrippa. He was all about his image. You know, he was all about wanting the people to like him. His family hadn't had a good history with the Jews and a lot of things that went on. And so he 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 had James killed, saw that the Jews were pleased with that. And so he says, well, I'm going to grab Peter too. We're going to do the same thing with him. And he was, he was scheming to have it done at the end of Passover. So Uh, You see, he delivers him over uh, to the prison. He's going to keep him in the prison. Now, if you're Herod, you know that these guys have been arrested before. You remember when they were arrested? All the first Peter and John were arrested and taken into the Sanhedrin in question. Remember that? And then all the apostles were arrested. And you remember both times what happened? The first time, they got let go, just don't preach anymore. The second time, miraculous escape. You know, they couldn't find them in the jail. Where are they gone? They're outside the door teaching. You remember that? So Herod obviously knows. He, he knows this, so he's not taking any chances with Peter. He's like, I'm going to put guards all around him, beside him, next to him, outside the door, outside the gate. Nobody's getting Peter out. I'm going to make sure that he is secure in he's secure in the prison. Now, all this is going on all this persecution is going on, all these, you know, they've got the the leaders of the church, James and Peter, uh, one's dead, one's about to be dead, and so the church, what it does, it says... Uh, well, let me finish. Five says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. It says, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So how does the church respond to all this persecution? Do they line up outside the jail, say, let Peter go, let Peter go? No. They, no. Come, together as a church. they come together and they pray. Now, it is such, I can't tell you how... It's just cliche to say, if somebody says, you know, uh, I'm sick or or whatever, something happens, well, I'm going to pray for you. I mean, it's almost like, thanks, you know, or it it almost seems like praying is the kind of the last resort that we do when I've tried to fix everything myself. But in Scripture, especially throughout the book of Acts, you see that prayer is, I mean, when I say For example, uh, speaking to a lady this week about her wayward son, worried about him, you know, won't talk to her, doesn't know the Lord, wanting him to be saved. And you say, "Well, well, we'll pray for him. It almost sounds like a cliche, like, well, we'll just pray for him. But the reality is that is the most powerful and most important thing that you can do is to pray for him. Because, to be honest with you, whether whether I'm a good arguer or not, or whether I'm a good speaker or not, or whether I'm a good uh, persuader or not, I can't come and, I mean, if I can convince you to be a Christian, somebody smarter than me can come to convince you that I'm wrong. You know, I can't talk you into it no matter how good my arguments are, no matter how. It has to come from the Spirit of God turning a heart from uh, god hater to a god lover it has to come it's a supernatural event that happens when when god fills you and changes you from the creature that you are to the new creature and what better way what better way to uh, what word am i looking for what better way is there to to encourage or to to hope that this happens or to make plans for this to be happened than to be praying to the one who's in control of the thing? You see what I mean? That makes sense. But the cliche comes because people say that they never pray. I mean, they, yeah, oh, that, that's why. <clears> well, yeah, and I didn't mean to say it was cliche. You know, I just said it sounds cliche. You know, it sounds like I catch myself saying cliches all the time, and it really bugs me. You know, I go into you go into a hospital and you say all the things that you're supposed to say and after a while it just sounds like I'll pray for you, you know. You know or, or it's going to be okay. You know, you just catch yourself I, I don't want to say all that. I don't want to say I want to say meaningful things. And, and anyway, so the the church here understood. I mean, can you imagine the apostles were walking around. They were teaching the people. They were they were God's voice. Uh, so to speak. They were doing miracles still. They were doing all that. I mean, they were the leaders of the church, and now God had allowed one of them to be killed, and the other one... I mean, by the way things were looking, and we're going to see, this is probably the funniest chapter in Acts, <clears throat> they weren't expecting Peter to be delivered, and they pretty much knew, they pretty much knew in their heart that Peter was going to get killed too. And so... They were praying. They were praying. They were beseeching God. They were they were falling on their face. It says that they were um, without ceasing the church. They were praying to praying to God. The, they were okay made without ceasing of the church unto God for Him for Peter. They were they were not just walking around going lord help peter out he's a, you know they were down on their face in spending time praying for peter <clears throat> we're going to see that when peter is delivered from from the jail he is brought I mean he goes to the house where they're praying and they're still praying you know so they're spending time this is not something where you just throw up a prayer before you eat and you know and help so and so this is this is something where you spend time uh calling out on the lord you spend time uh talking with the lord you spend time in in communication with the Lord that's something that people don't do anymore it's something that you know with as busy as as people are today you people you just don't you just don't see it that much anymore. And to be honest with you, you can't live without it. I mean, you find yourself slipping back into your old habits, slipping back into your old ways, slipping back into your old thinking. You ain't spending no time with God. You ain't spending no time in His Word. You ain't spending no time praying with Him. And I, as sure as I'm standing here, if you get busy, and you know we're all busy, and I understand, but if you neglect that time that you have every day with God, you're going to fall right back into the same old pattern. You're going to fall right back into the same old stuff, and you're say, how did I get here? Why do I keep going back? This every time. It'll happen every single time. It's just like when I do the youth. I, they all, they're all about boyfriend and girlfriends. And you don't, if you love somebody, you just want to be around them. I mean, you can read. I, I've been reading. I've got different Bible study plans that let me read it, you know, through every year. And I do a different one every year. And right now, I'm going through Leviticus and all of them bring a burnt bird and an offering and a grain offering you know, and I can read it, and when my my deal's done i 've read for thirty minutes, and i 'm like i don 't even have a clue what uh I suppose, birds and all, offerings or whatever it doesn 't make any difference doesn 't make any difference if you could say well i didn 't get nothing out of that or i didn 't really understand that. The point is spending time with the one that you love it 's not about not about tell me something uh, astounding and miraculous you know it 's about spending time that 's the way that 's the way kids do that 's the way y'all did when y'all fell in love. You got on the phone and hey, what are you doing? Nothing? Well, what are you doing now? Nothing <laughs> what are you want to talk about? I don't know what you want to talk about. You know, you just spend time with the one that you love. And so they're, they're praying for Peter in the midst of persecution. They don't go marching. They don't go do it. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be involved. And in, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying their first attack, their first line of defense is to pray, to fall on their face and to get before God. And so what we're going to see is that Peter's delivered. Verse 6 says, and when Herod, y'all just say something if you want to say something. Because I sure don't want to talk for 40 minutes. And when Herod would have brought him forth, said, the night before Herod's gonna bring him out and kill him. I love how God waited till the night before. It's like you could have delivered me last week and <laughs> save some of the stress, you know. He said, The night before Herod's gonna bring him out, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains chains, and the keeper and the keepers before the door kept the prison. They making sure this joke ain't getting away. I'm talking about not just he's chained to the deal, right? He's chained out. and he's sleeping right next to two soldiers and then there's two soldiers outside that gate and then the keepers of the prison outside that Peter's not getting away. He's not going to disappear like all them other guys have done. When I was reading this, I was astounded that he was actually sleeping. I would have been petrified. Yeah. This is the night before he's supposed to die. That's what I'm saying. I would have been Sleep would not have been possible. He was—he uh, was trusting, wasn't he? Uh, he had to have been. He was—he was at peace, knowing that whatever James had just been killed, and he was—he knew James. I mean, they were. And he knew that he, I mean, for all, I, I can't see that he expected to be delivered. I know he didn't expect to be delivered because we're going to see that when the angel was bringing him out, he thought it was a vision. He didn't know it was real. You know, which also tells me how deep of a sleep, look how deep of a sleep he was in. Let me just read it and we'll just get on with it. But I I'd also thought of that. It said, Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. He smote Peter on the side. I mean, he had to kick him and wake him up and <laughs> raised him up saying, Arise up quickly. His chain's fell off from his hands the angel said to him gird thyself bind thy sandals and so he did and he said to them cast thy garment about thee follow me and he went out and followed them and he wist not which means he knew not that it was true which was done by the angel but thought he saw a vision not only was it's almost like the dude is he was sleeping so soundly he ever y'all that have kids when you wake up in the morning it's like okay put your socks on okay now tie your shoes okay now go brush your hair go brush your teeth it's almost like you got to tell them every little thing because they're walking around like a zombie. You know, it's like you, you you can't just say that's what I'm Dana's good at that. I'm terrible. I'm like I flick on the light. I say, get up. And in 30 minutes, I'm walking out the door. You better be ready. You know, and, and Dana be like, Sophie, <laughs> you know, let's no, put on let's put know. on your socks. Like, you know? it's, almost, it's almost like the angel is having to say, all right, Peter, get up. All right, put on your socks, man. Put on your put on your sandals. It's almost like he's having to tell him. You know, I, I'm just thinking to that out loud. That may not be the case, but it's definitely that that Peter was Peter was such a... he was so. I, I want to think he was just so out of it because he was sleeping. That he, he he thought, he you know, at time time when you're not really awake but you're not really asleep either, he, he thought it was a vision he was seeing, like an angel was leading him out of the prison. and He doesn't really come to his senses. I think it says he comes to himself or something until he's out in the street. It says uh, he, he went out, followed him. He didn't know if it was a vision or if it was real. He says, when they were past the first and the second ward, they came into an iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened of them of its own accord, the gate opened by itself, well, of course the angel opened the gate, and they went out and passed on through one street and forthwith the angel departed from him and it says, and when Peter was come to himself, so it 's almost like he was uh, i don 't he wasn 't sleepwalking or anything like that, but he was just. I mean it was almost like he didn't realize what was happening. He was just so uh groggy or or whatever. He thought, you know, oh, man, I, this is this would be pretty cool if this is real and he realized he hey, I'm out in the street. You know, this is the angel had delivered and the angel of God had come in. It had woken him up. Evidently, the two soldiers sleeping next to him were still sleeping. The people, you know, it doesn't tell us whether they were sleeping at the gates or, or what. I mean, but they didn't know anything. And all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden he's he comes to himself and he realizes, hey, this is real. I'm not in prison anymore. I'm 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 in the I'm in the middle of the, I'm in the middle of the street. I'm out. You know, Herod's prison's probably right. You know, behind him. Wow, what would be the first thing you thinking? Run! <laughs> Get the heck out of the middle of the road. <laughs> They're gonna be looking. They're gonna be looking for me. I mean, I can imagine the first thing that he's thinking is like. Well, they're going to be coming. I better, I better move. And so that's that's probably exactly what he thought. And so he goes to this house where they're where they're praying. And it says, and when he had considered, or it says, when Peter come to himself, he said, "Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent His angels and that delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the ex- expectation of the people of the Jews. He delivered him from being executed, from all that was awaiting him." It says, and. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered together, still doing what? Still praying. They were praying through the night, weren't they? Peter was dead asleep. They were praying through the night. And so first you see... The prayers of the people are going on. Peter is shocked that he is freed. I mean, he wasn't expecting to be freed. He was sound asleep. He was ready to go be executed. And angel freed him. Angel released him. What you're going to see now is the church who's praying, probably for maybe for him to be freed, maybe for him to have strength through the trial. We don't know what they were praying for. for Yeah, and they were shocked. The church was shocked that they were that he was freed. In fact, they didn't even believe it. This is, I mean, just the picture the scene in my mind is really, it's funny. It says, Peter knocked at the door of the gate. A damsel, which is a female servant, came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, when she recognized the voice, she obviously knew Peter. He had obviously been there. Some people think this is the house where, you know, they were in the upper room. This is the house where uh, all that was going on, where Pentecost happened, and they were in the upper room and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we don't know for sure. But it says, when, uh, when she knew his voice, when Rhoda knew his voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Now, can you imagine Peter? Peter, what's Peter thinking? I got to get out of Dodge. I got to get out of Dodge. They're going to be looking for me. They're going to be coming after me. Hey, Rhoda, open the door. It reminds me of the old thing. It says, hey, open the door. It's Dave. You ever heard that? Yeah. Dave's not here. Dave's <laughs> not here, man. <laughs> so he's knocking on the door. Hey, it's Peter. Open the door. Open the door. And Rhoda's like, hey, it's Peter. And she runs back into the house to tell all the believers, hey, Peter's out at the front door. And Peter's like open the door, <laughs> open it, what are you doing? So Rhoda runs back in to tell the people, the believers that Peter's out the door and they don't believe him. It says, and, and they said to her, thou art mad, You crazy. And instead of going and just letting Peter in, she stands there and argues with him. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. And then they said it's his angel. Now there's like a, a Jewish uh, uh, tradition that says each person—we talked about this before, I think—has their own little guardian angel, and that guardian angel kind of looks like you, and you know. And so whether or not we talked about when Jesus said this has been a while, some of y'all probably remember we talked about where. Jesus Jesus said, uh, let the little ones come to me for their angels in heaven always appear before my Father. And so, well, I'm not saying that's true or anything, but they were looking for any excuse. It can't be Peter. Peter's in Herod's jail. There's no way it's Peter. I mean, it'd be easier for them to believe it was Peter's angel than to be Peter himself. I mean, it's just, it's not possible. And the fact is that they were praying, but it almost seems like, They really—I mean—they really were putting limitations on what God was able to do in answer to their prayers, wasn't it? I think they were just going through the motions. I don't know. I thought about that, but I don't want to say that. Surely, if they're praying all night long... It's almost like they put God in a box, like, we want this to happen, but, but when it happens, they're thinking... Maybe so. I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it's not. I don't know, because we're not told exactly what they're praying for. They might be praying for peace. They might be praying that... You know, God would raise up the church after Peter's dead. You know, there might be praying. That, you know, who knows? I'm sure they were praying for uh, God to save Peter. But it's obvious that when Peter shows up at the front door, they really don't believe that it's possible. And so you can imagine the scene that's in my mind as I'm thinking about this is Rhoda's not I mean Peter's knocking on the door going hey let me in hurry up This guards going to be coming soon surely they're going to be looking for me and while that's going in, going on inside the house the believers are all arguing Peter's at the door no he's not I'm telling you Peter's at the door they're having this big argument while he's open the door man open the door they're going to be coming and so they whatever they, whatever was going on they you know you're crazy it's a, they're more like to believe that it was his angel and this girl just had lost her mind, rather than Peter was actually there at the front door. And so, in verse sixteen, it says, uh, "But Peter continued knocking." <laughs> I can say, and you know he ain't, he ain't yelling because you can't. You know he's probably scared they're going to find him. They're like, Open the door. <laughs> so sixteen says, "But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished." And so you can imagine the the next part says, but he beckoning unto them with his hand to hold their peace. He had to tell them to be quiet, you know. Uh, so you can imagine Peter walks in the door and they're all astonished, and little Rhoda's running around the room going, "I told y'all, I told y'all, he was at the door. See, I'm not crazy. I know all this is going on." Peter's like, "Y'all need to hold it down. They looking for me. I mean, he he he. After he told them to hold it down, he said, Hold a peace.' Peter goes and he tells them the story. They they he tells him the story of of what the angel had done, how he had been released from prison. It says... uh Says they were astonished, but he beckoned unto them with a hand, hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He told them the story. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. And this is the last that we're going to see uh, of, uh, of Peter and his ministry. And that so he is, he is uh, put into prison, he is almost executed. And from here, he's going to leave, he's going to leave and uh, Jerusalem, and he's going to go. Wherever he goes, and he's going to minister, and you know he's still going to be the apostle. He's going to write First, Second Peter. He's going to do all those things. But he's going to—he's getting out of the—he's getting out of the city because uh, it's no longer safe for him. But before he goes, he wants to make sure that James here is not the one that's been executed. This is Jesus's brother, James. James, Jesus's brother, became the head of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we'll see that again in Acts chapter fifteen, when they have this council about the. Gentiles. It's James that's going to speak up. And uh, so this this is not James the Apostle. This is James the brother of Jesus. And James the brother of Jesus is the one who wrote the book of James. And so it's not James the Apostle, son of Alphaeus. It's not that James. It's another James. And so he told them, before he left he wanted to make sure that they knew that he was okay, that God had delivered him, that God had saved him from execution, and he was going to continue his ministry. He told them, you you make sure you tell them what happened and you tell James what happened and let him tell the church what happened. And you make sure that uh, that they know that 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 is all good. And so God delivers him. He tells and now, as soon as it was day, uh, as soon as it was his day, this is where we're going to see God uh, is going to deal with Herod. Uh, as soon as it was his day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What become of Peter? They was upset. In those days, if you lost a prisoner, you die. Simple as that. Uh, And when Herod sought for him, found him not, he examined the keepers, the guards, and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. So uh, the soldiers are upset by, you know, the escape, of course, and then soldiers are executed because they allowed a prisoner to escape. Now Herod was a guy who, he's a big egomaniac. You know, you can see that in lots of places. He he was a he was um like I said, he had made trips to and from Rome. He was friends with the family of Caesar, which is how he got his uh his throne and all the the territories Galilee all that kind of stuff that he was in charge of that's a whole other story Uh, but he was always trying to build his image with the Jews they hated the Herods you know for you know a lot of things and so he was always trying to do that. you can imagine how embarrassed he was that Peter got away from him you know he had probably made announcements you know we killed James and y'all can thank me later and now we're gonna Passover's over we're gonna get Peter too and we're gonna have this whole thing you know it's it's gonna be awesome and so Peter just like the times before disappears and so I mean I can't prove none of this but I think he left Jerusalem for Caesarea just because he was hurt in the ego you know what I mean he was hurt he was ashamed he was embarrassed that under his watch Peter got away and we're going to see that he's going to take it out on these other folks the people from Tyre and Sidon it says and Herod who was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon Tyre and Sidon are two cities they're not Jewish cities they're Gentile cities just above uh, Judea, so you can see uh, you can see that they 're up in that region if you 've got a map in the back of your Bible or whatever, uh, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus, which is the king 's chamberlain, the servant of the king, their friend, they desired peace because their country was nourished by the king 's country what 's going on here? Is Herod takes the, Herod goes to Caesarea. The people of Tyre and Sidon, which are two cities, they are evidently being fed by the kings, uh, by the region that the king rules. And so for some reason, we're not told that aid was cut off. And so they sent emissaries to go and get that corrected so they could have that, you know, they could have those supplies. And they got in to see Herod because they knew this guy blasted. So all this is, uh, Luke is writing this as if we know all this background so he's not really going into all this background uh, but these are these are historical historical events and so uh, he go they go to uh, to uh, get all this fixed and evidently they did get it fixed they got they met before Herod and they whatever Herod you know made them do they they decided to get the food back and they decided to make peace with each other and all that kind of stuff went on and it says and uh, upon a set day Herod arrayed in royal apparel sat upon on his throne and made an oration unto them. This is Herod making a speech. Interestingly enough, uh, Josephus records this exact event. Uh, Historian, this Jewish historian that was uh, alive during uh, during the the AD 70, you know, in that range. So this was probably 20, 30 years before, but he records this exact event. He records Herod coming out. It says here that he was arrayed in royal robes. Josephus says that his robes were sparkling silver. And so when he walked out into the when he walked out to take his seat in this whatever it was, you know, court, amphitheater, whatever it was, when he walked out to take his seat, the sun glistened off this silver thing, and it made him look just radiant, like almost blinding. And so he sat on this deal and what he was gonna do was he was gonna give them. You know, the Herod King speech. You know, I, King Herod, have decided that in my great mercy and my wisdom, I'm going to uh, renew the food distribution to your country. You know, who knows, whatever he was going to do. But whatever he said, it says, the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God, not of man. And so they were flattering him. They were wanting to keep the deal going. You know, they were they were feeding his ego. You know, they were feeding his ego and he, the the mistake that he makes is he let his pride take away, get, take him away just a little too far and he didn't give glory to God after they called him a God. It says, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not glory, God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost, killed him, died. And... Uh, Interestingly enough, Josephus records that he also died. Uh, and so, by the but, and here's verse 24-25, we're going to stop. It says, the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. Remember, they were going to Jerusalem to bring aid for the famine that was coming. When they had fulfilled their ministry, they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. That's going to be important later, so remember that. They took John Mark with them. Uh, so you see, the whole thing was, you got at the beginning... Apostle executed. Then you got Peter in prison, about to be executed, but miraculously delivered. But still, he's got to leave. He's got to go. And then you got Herod, who started this whole mess, started the persecution of the church, had James executed, wanted to have Peter executed. You have Herod himself executed by God. And so, what you see that binds all these together is, in the midst of all this, the church prayed. That's the thing that binds it together. In the midst of persecution and trial, the church prayed. The church let God take care of their enemy you know it wasn't it wasn 't like the church banded together and grabbed swords and we're going to go kill Herod and all that. The church let God take care of all that He let God take care of of the enemy. The church um, uh, was astounded when they saw God actually answer their prayer. I mean, when Peter comes knocking on the front door, they was astounded. So understand that the point of this is what we see is another obstacle, another persecution, another uh, another trial comes along. The church prays. And on one hand, you got an apostle that's killed. There's going to be some of y'all that's going to be called to suffer. Some of y'all is going to be called to give your life. Some of y'all is going to be called to do whatever. And then you got another apostle who is delivered from execution, but he's got he's got to leave. He's got to go. And so there's going to be some of y'all that are miraculously delivered that are going to continue with your ministry and God's going to bring you out. But regardless of either one of those things, whether that happens to you in your life, whether you're called to suffer and give your life or you're called to be delivered and go and do whatever, uh, understand two things are going to happen. Number one, God is going to deal with his enemy. And number two, the gospel of, of Christ is going to go forth. It's going to be victorious no matter what. So a lot of times that's hard. It's hard for us, especially if you're in James's role. You know what I mean? It's like because when you're the one that's called to suffer you, a lot of times I hear the question, why is this happening to me? on a a weekly basis and I don't have no good answer I wish I had some I mean I wish I had some super spiritual intelligent word from the Lord to tell you why it is uh, but I don't have nothing some people are called to suffer different things go through different trials have different things some people are called to uh be delivered are going to be delivered out of some. there's going to come a time when everybody here is going to die of one thing or another You know, everybody, one thing you be sure about life is you ain't going to get out of life. You're going to you're going to die of something, you know. So uh, today you may have something go on and God heals you and restores you and you move on with your ministry and praise God. We give him the glory. And a lot of times we're just as surprised as the church was. Like, Wow, I can't believe it. It worked out. Sometimes it, it doesn't happen that way, but regardless of whether God has called you to either one of those things, God will always, one hundred percent of the time, He will always deal with His enemies, and He will always, always be victorious in the gospel that goes forth. That makes sense. Any questions? See, y'all made me talk the whole time. Hey, Jason, in verse seven, it talk, You know, it says that the angel of the Lord, you know, smote Peter on side, meaning like it nudged him, kicked him. Struck him, okay, yeah. yeah. But over here, it says, the angel Lord sort of, he died. Yeah. You know, so how, I mean, yeah. what is the definition of the, is it, I mean, it's... Struck. I mean, to smite somebody is to strike them, to hit them. Okay. So, you know, I, I could hit you and break your jaw. Yeah. Or I could just... You know, it's, yeah. it's really just the context that he. It's just a, the the word "smite" means. I don't know the the Greek word right off the top of my head. I have to look it up. But the word "smite" just means to to hit, to strike. To so when it, when it when I think of him striking Peter, I'm thinking like, "Hey, get up! What are you yeah. doing? You know, get up." He's my head. But when he when he when he struck Herod, it wasn't necessarily like a physical punch to the face. Mm-hmm. But look, he just killed him pow you did you know and I struggled with the eaten by worms thing too you know like does that mean that there's some people that say it was worms in him that were eating him that were that killed him you know some people say that it was that's just a Jewish way of saying he died a inglorious disgusting death Uh, a lot of different things I I can't tell you for sure but uh, it it definitely sucked (laughs) is <laughs> it safe to say that, that, that the reason God did to him what he did is maybe you know to prove his point that you have to give me glory or you die gruesome death. Maybe so. Maybe so. But you gotta make room for the fact that God doesn't always strike people dead that don't give him glory. You know, it's, if it was I wouldn't be standing here for sure. But I think I think the the thing that holds all these together is the prayers of the people because as they're praying remember this is persecution going on people dying James dying Peter in prison fixing to die they were probably praying for judgment to fall on Herod they were probably praying if you go back if we go back to Acts chapter 4 we can see the prayer where they say now God hear their threatenings and deal with them and you know and so um They were. uh, I think. I think the the uh, the central theme is that uh, God is going to make sure whatever He has to do that His His gospel, His kingdom is going to be victorious. If he has to, if he has to, you know, He's we've seen Him strike people dead two or three times now in Acts. We've seen it over and over again in the Old Testament. If he has to strike somebody dead, he will. And what it does is, just before we close, is. It gives us, it gives us, I don't have to sit home and worry who wins the president. You know, I don't have to sit at home and worry. I, I bemoan the way the government's going. I bemoan the way the country's going. I pray and all those things, but I don't have to sit around worrying and fearing that you know uh, the way that it's going is going to flush Christianity down the toilet. There's never going to be a time where God's not going to have His people, where His gospel's not going to be victorious, where His kingdom's not going to be going. I don't care who gets it. I don't care if it turns into the USSR over here and they start cutting our heads off. For being There's always going to be a church, always going to be a gospel, always going to be a kingdom. It may stink for us who have to suffer some, some, but what this shows is that God is going to do whatever. It ends up, the last sentence, uh, the last two verses says... After all this, one's dead, one had to leave, get out of Dodge, Uh, God's striking his enemies dead, there's Christians being persecuted, but after all this, the word of God grew, and more and more people come to faith, more and more people are being converted, and the kingdom is going forth. And so what we're going to see next time is from chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 9 is where Saul's name changes to Paul in the book of Acts. And from then on out, he's going to be called Paul. I think that has to do with the Gentiles. But from chapter 13 on, we're going to focus on Paul and his journeys. Okay?